something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Summon your anticipation for an all new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Yeah, I come from the school of Tupac. I'm a rival. You don't want to what? Tell me. Tell I'm not your average Negro. Hold up. Taz, I want to ask you a question real quick. Let's just keep it real straight shot with no chaser. I'm going to get a little bit rough. I'm here for those who really believe in the American process. All of us. Straight shot, no chaser. With your girl, Tesla Figaro, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. All right, we got our sister, Tesla Figaro, in the building. What's going on, sis? Hey, what's going on, brother Naheem? I'm chilling, sister Sister Tez. How you doing? I'm doing fine. I just wanted to tap in right quick and thank you uh, for continuing the conversation. The entire reason uh, to have uh, Tez on 10, the new show on Revolt, make sure you guys tap in with that, is to um, have a conversation that goes a little bit further than just the hour. I just want to remind people, you know, I spoke to Naheem about it as well, that it was, you know, one hour. So obviously, you know, there's so much to unpack and I'm just excited Uh, that you guys are taking this conversation further. I will not uh, moderate and and chime in and talk. I'm going to pass it over to you. I just thought it'd be good for me to at least say hello to the people and let people know, you know, what we're doing here tonight. And 
Um, maybe uh, Sonny could join or Gary, but um, it's just, you know, a great conversation to have. I hope folks do go watch it. It is on YouTube uh, where you can watch it from beginning to end and watch it with an open mind. And I'll just leave, you know, a couple of notes. It's really important. You know, people, I, the people criticize me a lot and say, oh, you're, you know, you're so hard on conservatives. And that's just simply not true. Uh, I've been rocking with Sonny for over a decade, I think, Naheem, that's how you got introduced to Sonny um, through my relationship with her. And uh, I have no problem with conservative opinions or liberal opinions. My problem is when people shit on black people as they're, you know, expressing themselves. We really can have a conversation about different ideas, different ideologies without being a, uh, without putting us, putting each other down. And unfortunately, what has been advanced in the media and not just mainstream, even on these YouTube streets, because people probably even more so because people want clicks and they need to get paid. And, you know, uh, propagandas constantly put out there with this, you know, uh, talk about what black people are getting wrong. We know what our problems are. We want to talk about the solutions. And sometimes it's OK to disagree. We don't always have to agree to disagree. We can just really just disagree, you know, um, and, that, and that's OK, too. So my, my goal with the show is is to make sure that we're having different conversations. There are black conservatives. There are black liberals. Everybody's not sold out. Some people put black, you know, still put black first and understand that if you have a different position, it doesn't mean that you're not putting black people first. You just have a different uh, approach. And my goal is that we understand that there's room for all of us across the board, progressives, Democrats, conservatives. So listen with an open mind to the conversation tonight. Also listen with understanding that a talk show is literally a 45-minute conversation, you know, that has been edited for commercials. That is what makes Twitter space so awesome because you guys can flush it out and stay on as long as possible. So I will certainly, and again, my platform is your platform. You know, anything I can do to uh, advance the conversation uh, on my podcast to, you know, so folks can hear that. Um, you know, I'm happy to do so. And so I, I just appreciate you taking the lead, Naheem, and doing this on your own. You know, I didn't ask you to do this. This is just you were excited to do it on your own. And so I just wanted to come in and salute you for that. And I'll be listening and, and try. I'm going to try my best to stay out the way. So I'm going to stay out the way and I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to listen. But I do. Um, and, and just for those in the building, I'm just curious. I want to do a quick poll. Put a 100 up if you did watch the show. I'm curious how many because, you know, y'all love doing reactions without actually watching it. Uh, we we always got opinions, but I'm curious how many actually watch the show. Okay, great. I'm seeing some 100s come up because that's helpful. To have the conversation is really helpful to see, you know, where Naheem, the starting point, because even him and I, you know, we had talked about some things like, oh, Naheem, go back and watch this one part. You know, we pointed it out. So I hope you guys had a chance to watch it. If you did not, still stay for the conversation, still chime in, uh, but still do yourself a favor and, and go listen to what a conversation sounds like between a black conservative and a black liberal. And so I'll turn it over to you. Oh, Oz, and, and thank you, uh, Sister Tez. I, I truly, truly appreciate that. And, you know, it was it was a great debate, first and foremost. Uh, it was, I love the way you moderated the debate. And, you know, it was like certain things that were said. It's like, okay, well, let's flesh Let's flesh this out. We ain't going to just, you know, we ain't going to just say things and, and then move on to the next subject. How does, you know, what you just said look, et cetera. And I'm going to get into some of that as we get on in the, um, in the discussion. Ibrahim, all right, Ibrahim is getting himself together. 
check your, the, I gave you the co-host already. And um, because we, I don't know if we're going to play some clips from it yet. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm, I'm ready to get into this thing, but I don't want to start until my, until my bro is ready. Okay. There go Ali. So we waiting for Josh. We're going to have a BTP. Uh, we're we going to do our BTP, BTP thing today. I'm trying to read, press buttons and do everything at the same time. My bad, y'all. What I'll say in the meantime, in between time is that we really get to see black conservatives like the Sonny Johnson in the mainstream space, if you will. Our idea of what a black conservative is, is a, is a Candace Owens or a Larry Elder and the many quote unquote black faces that you could think of that the Republican Party elevates because they elevate a, a message that counters the spirit of our people in this country. And so when you hear someone like Sonny Johnson going in and you hear a message that counters what they say, and it's in alignment with the things that you hold uh, as, you know, one who's a social conservative, right? I'm not a, a conservative, but I would consider myself a social conservative because I believe in certain things and certain values, et cetera, et cetera, that are shared within the uh, conservative ideology. Also, there's a few things in li liberalism that I also agree with, right? And to hear a debate with someone like a Sonny Johnson and Gary Chambers, I, I, I just thought it was great. I know the Republican debate was on last night, but I didn't watch it. I seen some of the clips that they're, they're saying uh, Nikki Haley kind of, she, they said she won the debate, not kind of. They're saying she won. She killed the brown bigot Vivek Ramaswamy when he brought up her daughter and she played the abortion. I thought I seen the clips. I thought she played the abortion card. Great. I was like, ooh, that was that was good because now you're appealing not just to uh, re white Republican women who may agree with abortion. You're also appealing to white women on the left who absolutely agree with abortion. So it's like, OK, I have this viable candidate over here on the right. Not saying that Democrats would vote for Nikki Haley. I'm just saying I thought that was a, a smart move that she made last night. So because we wanted to kind of get into some things and then lead into the the debate. And I'm um, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm just ready to <laughs> I'm ready to get into the debate. So I don't know if y'all want to lead off with, you know, some opening commentary and then we dig in or we, if y'all just want to get into it. Well, peace, bro. I just wanted to first start off by um, thanking Tesla for, for, for even having that conversation because it was it was a very um, enlightened conversation conversation and it was important that it was had and I appreciate the fact that she was able to do that um and, and present both sides of that particular um uh, that particular conversation. So I just wanted to thank her for that. 
Um, and she did a, a excellent job moderating because <laughs> it definitely, as I said, Taz on 10, it definitely, you know, turned up in certain aspects. Um, and so it was good. Um, my, my initial thing, I'm going to just say this, um, in terms of it being a debate, I, I don't necessarily just from what I heard, I don't necessarily say anybody won, um, one side won a debate or whatever, but what I, what I see it as is they were both presenting two different perspectives on how, uh, to approach, how to approach. I, I was, I would believe that that, that that's the idea. So how to approach it. Uh, to approach the issues of our people, um, from a conservative perspective or from a, or from a liberal, uh, perspective. Now, my thing is, um, I agree with you. I have certain things that I agree with from, from both sides, but I tell you this, and I'm just going to keep it all the way 100. The problem when you start talking about black men straying from the Democratic Party, one of the main things is, yes, like Gary Chambers was talking about, Brothers wanting to be able to make the money to take care of their families, right? Obviously, that's that's the primary issue. But one, two of the other main issues that we're going to have to really deal with is the issue of immigration and how that affects our people and all of this LGBTism. Because what it appears is that the Democratic Party has become the party of the LGBTQ and immigration. And for a lot of us, that's a problem. Like what we're seeing in terms of immigration, what we're seeing in places like Chicago and New York and California, et cetera. And then also you see the issue with LGBTism coming up uh, in people's schools where, you know, where they're imposing a lot of this stuff on the children. So this is becoming a problem, not just for black men, but for a lot of Americans. It just so happens that black men uh, you know, uh, expressing that, uh, their displeasure with all that stuff as well. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And yeah, we're going to, we're going to get into some of that because, uh, Chambers, he made a remark in that regard about the constitution, right? And, and I, you know, I kind of want to go in, in the chronological order, if you will, based on how the debate opens up and, uh, Ibrahim, let me know when you're ready, bro. I sent you the co-host invite as well. Uh, Josh, uh, I don't know where Josh is. Uh, Josh will be on in a few. So, um, you know, Tez asked Sonny, you know, what, what is conservatism? Like, give us a breakdown of, of what conservatism is. And I thought she did that, right? I thought she spoke to the conservative uh, idea of starting with self-accountability. Now, Sonny and I have had <laughs> several debates. We've had several, several debates on certain things. And we, you know, we respect each other's position. But when it, it's styled as a debate, and the things that I'm looking for in a debate is who's sticking to the topic and answering the, the questions, whether I agree or disagree with their answers or not. And I, I, you know, felt that uh, when the, when these questions were being asked, Sonny was answering those questions because Chambers then flipped that into uh, an every man for himself argument. And I was like, um, that's, that's not, that's not what it was. Right. And so, uh, I listened to both of them say, I'm a, I'm a scale back a little bit because I listened to both of them say that, you know, they're not 
or they go against their their respective parties. Now, I don't know if Gary, I've, I've not seen it, so I'm, I'm going to uh, keep it 100%. I've not seen Gary Chambers where he went against the Democratic Party, right? I've, I've watched uh, Sonny, because I'm in her spaces frequently, debate with people from her party, those very people that Gary Chambers were, were speaking about. I watched Sister Tez go on Fox News just the other day and excoriate the Dems for not giving the Democratic voting base another choice beside Joe Biden, or whom we on this side call Jim Crow Joe. So I, I've not seen that from Gary, and I'm not going to pretend like I've seen all of his stuff, but I've seen the Breakfast Club interview. I've seen uh, several interviews that he's done on the Young Turks, et cetera, et cetera. I've not seen that thing where you've directly challenged someone from the Democratic Party. And if that information is out there, video, et cetera, please, please send that to me. Now, just back to the definition of a conservative, Sonny broke down what conservatism meant when she spoke about self-accountability and, and family, right? And I, I little Josh right there, right? She spoke about self-accountability and family, number one. Number two, being stewards of the community. And number three, being grounded in the Constitution. And for her, if, if my interpretation of her words were correct, that was the Bill of Rights. Though, you know, those first 10 articles, I believe that's what she's speaking about, which is the anti-federalist provision into the United States Constitution. Hence, those whom are conservative, those whom are Republican are always fighting for smaller government. So I thought she situated that that point uh, perfectly. Um, I, I wasn't sure on on Chambers's response to exactly what liberalism was. Uh, Ibrahim or Josh, I don't know if y'all can give a give a breakdown to that because I want one of y'all to jump in as well. I don't want to because y'all know I'll keep going and going and going and then we'll all just keep going and going and going. So um, did y'all hear Gary Chambers give a breakdown of what liberalism means to him? He didn't give one. Um, his only remarks to what black progressivism is, he said, community collective, community uplift. That was that was it. Sonny, Sonny gave three principles. She said the idea of individual, idea of republic, and the idea of constitution was the three principles that made up black conservatism. And she defined and she defined the idea of individual. It was do for self, self accountability. She defined idea of the republic by saying community obligation. And then later on in the podcast, she came back and and, and added some more to it by saying um, the idea of republic defined also means the government that is closest to the people has the most amount of power over the people. So that's how she kind of defined this idea of republic that 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 we have a obligation to them and they have an obligation to us and the government officials or the government that is closest to us have the most power over us. And then this idea of constitution that 
we get constitutional protections from the law. So that is what she defined as black conservatism. And again, when it came to Gary Chambers and his definition of black progressive, it was just community uplift community. You know, that that was it. Yeah, because he made a statement that the Democratic Party markets itself as being for everybody. And I, I see we have a specific ideology on on this side of things. And when we hear phrases like that, it triggers something within us because everybody usually means everybody else. And we're never we're never included in in that everybody. And and we're gonna we're gonna flesh that out. Uh Teslin asks Sonny, why do people think that the, you know, a Republican or conservative, you know, why, why, do, why does that conjure up basically the image of, of the white male? And, and Sister Sonny said that it was, it was true. And she gave a historical breakdown as to why that was. She spoke about the uh, initial Republican Party, which consisted of freedmen and uh, how after the Civil War, the Lily White movement formed inside of the Republican Party and they fought to push out the freedmen from that party. And so, you know, she she conceded on on those points and I think highlighted why she as a conservative fights back against those very type, those very people. And I may have a bias because I've heard her have those, have those debates before. You see what I'm saying? I've heard her have those debates where she just be cooking. Uh, I've seen straight up racists come into her Twitter space that claim to be Republican and she absolutely destroyed them. So, you know, what, what are some of y'all's like, cause I want to, I want to get into it. I, I got my notes, but I want the team to jump in and out. Because I know Ali is going to get into the constitutional part that Gary Chambers is talking about. I was like, oh, my God, what is what is this guy saying? Where, where, where did he learn that at? And we're going to get into the Garrisonian school of thinking and how what Garrison taught about the Constitution still lives today and not what Frederick Douglass had came to to learn about the Constitution and why he fell back from William Lloyd Garrison. Garrison, Garrison, Garrison. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Uh, thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics, in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And so, Josh or Ali, did, did y'all have anything that y'all wanted to share based on what y'all have heard so far before we move forward? You know, I want to I want to get into it. Right. Because the, the debate pretty much. Kind of opens up when Sonny starts breaking down the fact that the Democratic Party is in control over those black areas, which, you know, it's a fact. The Dems control many of these liberal (laughs) states that that, uh, Gary Chambers brought up. Not only are they in control of those states, they're also in control over cities in those states and in southern states. And I'm going to get in a little bit later. I'm going to get into how in southern states with Republican governors, black people are actually doing better than they're doing in those liberal states that Gary Chambers spoke about. And in the cities that we populate as well. So I think that when when Sonny got back to speaking to the conservative idea of of starting with the self, right? That that self accountability, and we've kind of sparred over this. We, you know, we've had a recent debate. Me and Ali was up in her space, right, a couple of weeks ago. Nahim, the the first, the first topic that was brought up was conservative ideology versus liberal ideology, and that's when Sonny defined it as. Do for self. She said something about manifestation, rugged individualism, about black people being successful and, you know, doing everything they can individually. And she makes a statement. She says we always had enough, but each individual needs to do more. That's when Gary came up with his liberal ideology about community, collective community uplift. Um, Speaking to that, you know, first point that they kind of got at it. I didn't really understand where Sonny was coming from when she was talking about do for self and kind of to get the bad culture and manifestation and regular individualism. I understand those are all conservative talking points. Those are all Republican talking points. Um, Before that, she had told Heslin that she's not a Republican. She's a black conservative. But when I, the way she defined what a black conservative is about the ideas of individual ideas of Republic ideas of constitution. I didn't see what differentiated that from what Republicans believe. Right. So like if, if, if you're going to say you're not a Republican, I would have liked for her to address what differentiates her from being a Republican, because just those three principles are what Republicans believe in. That's inside the fold of being a Republic. Um, so on that issue, I agree with Gary on that it's not about, you know, rugged individualism, this idea that America somehow uh, benefits you through meritocracy. If you just work hard, you can do better. And the better you build yourself up, you can give back to your community, so forth and so on. Um, we all, you know, just, you know, being a part of USADOF and BTP, you know, we all come from the understanding that. Government picks winners and losers. It's the government that can make or break you. 
It's the government that can take a C student and make them president. It's the government that can take somebody that may be functionally illiterate and make them a president. Um, so I, on that point, I agree with Gary. And also coming from the philosophy of Martin Luther King Jr., where he said we either rise up together or we go down together. You know, this idea of individualism just doesn't work. Economics in America is a team sport. It doesn't matter if one person has some money. If your community, if the community you don't come from have some money, then that just puts you out there on the island to be ate up by the white sharks and the capitalists that that roam and pack. So I, I, I didn't I don't really subscribe to that. Um, that ideology of what black conservatives is. And I, and I also think it folds up under the the compartment of being a republic. I would have liked for her to expound on the difference between a black conservative and a and, and a Republican or maybe somebody that's black. Well, and Republican. Mm-hmm. well let me say now that you if he would have said what you just said, I would have had to give him that point. <laughs> he didn't to me, he didn't break it down that way. Instead, he flipped it into a, a, an every man for himself argument, right? But then he turned and pointed to a few outliers, and individuals, right? He spoke about billionaires, and you see in in the cutaway, uh, Oprah and and um, was a bunch of billionaires Michael, that Michael Jordan, Jordan, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that mm-hmm. popped up on on the screen. But and then he said. But we do have black wealth. He, he said we do have black wealth. So in my in my estimation, I thought he stepped on his on his own argument, right? Because you you point to individual successes, and then you try to say, well, you know, these people aren't really doing anything for the community, but you include them in the we having black wealth. If they're not doing anything then you can't necessarily include them in the we. And we don't know if they're not doing anything. We don't know what type of uh, black charities they give to, et cetera, et cetera. Now, can, so, can, you can know, I just chime in? I, I said I was... Oh, definitely. Because I really do want to hear what you have to say, but I do want to give this editorial note because this is important. So the cutaways, you know, guys, I'm always trying to teach people behind the scenes. The cutaways have nothing to do with Gary. And I know a lot of people have made comments, oh, why was this person on the screen or that person on the screen? So these are editors that are just packaging this. That has nothing to do. When we had this conversation, it was a raw conversation with nobody on the screen anywhere. So I do want to make sure just for the integrity of the conversation that you guys are not associating because somebody even said, why is uh, such and such up there with Malcolm X? I'm like, just focus on the content. I didn't choose. I did not choose, uh, you know, who went on the screen and the producers really have nothing to do with the conversation. And they don't live in our activism space. So they're not looking at uh, the same way a, a lot of people create. I'm just giving an example. Let's say a lot. We know that in the conscious community, Oprah's not a, a people are not a fan of Oprah. We would all agree with that. Put a 100 in the chat if you agree with that. People who are not in this conscious space look up to Oprah. So you have to keep in mind that the show, these are not editors from the conscious space. This is why I keep on involving you guys in what I'm doing, because we do need different voices at the table. It's not the Illuminati. It's not nobody made them do it. It's not puppet strings and all of these made up things. It's just everybody's not familiar with this side of the conversation. So I do want to be clear about that, that when they were talking, they were not talking to any of the cutaways. They had nothing to do with that at all. 
just wanted to give you that editorial note. Duly noted. And, and also, Duly I just noted. want to say this on Gary's behalf. He has absolutely challenged the Democrats, without a doubt. In, in fact, the, the first clip that you saw that they showed him, he was talking to, you know, to Democrat leaders. So he has certainly done that just in integrity. But I do appreciate you also saying you haven't seen everything that he's done. And that's also helpful. But yeah, please don't don't hold those edits uh, to me or the guests. And um, to further make sure that I'm committed on that, I've even talked to producers about, you know, making sure that during that process, that every single, you know, <laughs> every single thing that I'm involved in that, because I know how it can be mis, uh, mis, you know, mis, you know, a, a misconception with the viewer, and that's why I'm listening to you guys. There's a, I'm not going to sit here and correct everything because I really want to know what you received, not what the intent was or what we tried to do. I'm interested to hear what you guys received, but I thought the editorial note was important. Thank you, Nye. No, thank you. No, thank you, thank you. And that, I mean, that's. Like I said, duly noted, and that's pivotal in the understanding because people were saying, you know, I've seen I've seen some of the comments. People, I think we've even said that among ourselves about certain things. I actually took a note. I was like, Malcolm X popped up. <laughs> I was like, why didn't right? I actually took a note. So I'm glad. I'm glad that you said that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got plenty definitely. of notes. I'm like, wait a minute now, hold up. Because some of the people I wouldn't put on the screen either. But but see, no that's doubt. a good example. You know, that's why, you know, Naheem, when I say people, instead of building relationships and stop thinking everybody's against you that has a show or in the quote-unquote mainstream media or evidence. No, it's about having a relationship and talking. You At least with me, I'll tell you, hey, this is what they did. This is what, you know, now everybody may not be that transparent. But for me, I want you to know the process. Some things are, uh, people are being pu- puppet strings. You know, some things are strategic. Some things are, you know, but in this case, you best believe anything that my name's on, I'm going to be as transparent as I possibly can. Like I told them, my brand is associated with this. So when you go see that, you're thinking, oh, damn, but she put, there was one particular person, I won't throw that person's name out, but that's not somebody I would have put on the screen as a leader. You know what I mean? So they don't know that. These are college students, a lot of these editors that are just, a lot of them, they see them as leaders because that's what they see in the community. You know, that's what they've heard. So they, oh, this would be great to put it in the package. And typically, uh, quote unquote, talent, what my role would be the host, is usually not an organizer. They're usually just talent, meaning they just moderate a good a good conversation. They're not on the ground. They're not having these conversations. They don't know what you're talking to you and talking to somebody else. and go, You know what I mean? They don't have that insight. So it's not always trying to be against us. They just simply don't know. And we'll never have any connection if the whole time, you know, people are shitting on me and or I'm not willing to have a conversation with you. Does that make sense? Like, let's just have a conversation so we can move better as a community. And why, again, for those who are listening, why I'm going to upload this conversation to Straight Shot No Chaser podcast. My podcast, we can sit on here for five hours straight. You can't do that in television. Television, you're sitting there, and, and even then, that, that conversation was longer. Like, I have to sit there. We got to sit there a long time just to get 45 minutes oh, yeah. of content. It's a lot of work. So these various platforms that at least I'm trying to use, people get mad. Oh, you should have said this on The Breakfast Club. I literally had 10 minutes on The Breakfast Club. I literally had three stories, two minutes a, a piece, three minutes a piece. I can't cover every single mm-hmm. thing. You know, so mm-hmm. I try to give as much game as I can. And thank you again, Naheem, for doing this on your own. You know, some people call it cloud chasing. You don't have to chase the cloud because I'm going to give it to you. I'm literally handing you the cloud. 
to have the conversation. This is what white folks do. They put their stuff out. When I did on Fox News, they did 50 other things about it. Now, when people are coming for me, they make 100 videos about what they don't like. Now, where's the 100 videos about the conversation we just had yesterday on Revolt? See, they're not because they can't pigeon me and put me in a box that they think I belong. Oh, she just hate conservative. That's not it at all. I don't like no no coons. Let's be clear. I don't like coons. Right. <laughs> Black, exactly. conservative or liberal. I'm not fucking with you. But if you have a if you have a valid point. Even if it's not a point I agree with, but what we're not going to do is put down black men, put down black women. We're not going to create this fake gender war. You know, I'll, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to have a real conversation. But I don't see none of them making no videos about this. So, again, I shout out to you guys for having this conversation. You're welcome to do it on anything that I do. I will promote it myself, even if y'all are saying stuff that I may not agree with, because that's the whole point. Have the conversation after the conversation. And in this case, you can talk directly to the horse. You don't have to sit up and make it up. And come and make up and make up disc records and say all type of shit because you're trying to get hits and lit and, and clicks. Let's just have a real conversation, you know, because I'm down to have it. You know, I got to throw that petty out there a little bit. But um, but anyway, I'll, I'll throw it back. I just want to give that editorial note. <laughs> no doubt. Definitely. Definitely. Oh, man. Maybe making disc records and 48-hour Twitter spaces and all kind of things. Right. And for like, I'm a spoken word Crazy. artist, nigga. Let me get 16 bars. Let me get on it. <laughs> Don't you think when I ran in 2011, I had an entire, uh, uh, damn near an album. Literally. Even now, to this day, Nisi D got me coming in, uh, two weeks from now to Orlando doing a poem that I did in 2012. So you be better instead of making a diss record, you should have told me to get on and and, and and drop 16. That's how you advance. That's how you get the message out. That's how you make it move. You ain't gonna bully me into no conversation. You ain't gonna make me have no conversation. You ain't gonna tell me what to do. Uh uh-uh, I'm not one of them. So I'm trying, I'm hoping people are saying this is how you build relationships, sitting back. Couldn't talk about mainstream me. They don't do this. They don't do that because y'all don't know how to build no relationship with nobody. This is a relationship. Everything is a relationship. So anyway, I'm gonna get on myself. I'm gonna turn it back over to you. I just, I just <laughs> no, want to make, no, make that definitely, note. definitely, definitely, man. So for anybody that's just coming into the room, we are doing a recap of the debate that our sister Tesla Figaro hosted between. Uh, Gary Chambers, who ran for how I have his profile pulled up on U.S. Senate. Okay, I I got it pulled up. I just didn't. I'm not going to the computer right now. Um, You know, very uh, controversial figure on on the left. You know, the brother has done uh, commercials, uh, advertisements, political ads, smoking bud. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I just Burn, burning the Confederate flag. I like that. Yeah, one. yeah. You know, we we like that. We like that type of stuff over here. You already know we don't, we don't do no Confederates over here. But um, you know they they had a they had a good debate with with Sister Sonny Johnson. He had excuse me a good debate with Sister Sonny Johnson, who is a black conservative. Uh, she does a radio show on Sirius XM, and you know it was basically. Uh, you know, Ali called it. He said he didn't really see a winner or a loser. It was just two people expressing what liberalism is and conservatism is to them. 
And so, you know, we're having a discussion about some of the things that they, you know, that they debated about. And so I'm going to get back to to that because I want to start off with what Ibrahim led off with, where Sonny said that we've always had more than enough to get us where we need to go. And the reason why I bring that up is I vehemently disagree with that, right? I I 100% disagree with that. But in the in the spirit of the topic of a debate where there are certain parameters is not necessarily whether I agree or disagree with something. It's did the individual stick to the premise and the parameters of the debate. And that that's how I usually judge those discussions. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Uh, Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in in a different aspect of my life now. So... How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, 
Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So Gary said community uplift, and I kind of gave him a point for that. But then, like you said, he comes back and he says, um, we have black wealth. There's no metric in, 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 in anywhere in America where you can measure any black wealth, right? We, we have the same wealth positionality as when we, you know, just got out of slavery and was in Reconstruction. We still about 1%, 2% of America's household wealth. And then for him to kind of quantify that by, naming a few billionaires here and there, it would be different if he talked about La Brea Heights, which is gentrified now, or he talked about uh, Prince George County, which is, which is, which, you know, has some black wealth, but also has bad infrastructure from government neglect and also have a huge wealth disparity in the big ghetto as well. So I like, you can't quantify that with individuals. You would have had to point, to a black community and say, this community over here is worth X number of dollars, right? The point to say we, then point to a few individuals, it kind of mutes his point. And, and, and that's what I kind of see a lot. I think that's one of the um, recurrent themes of some of the things that he was saying. He would make a point, I would be like, yes. And then the next minute he would like break his own point down and speak to why it isn't true. But yeah, that's all I had to say on the we have black wealth thing. I just want to clarify real quick, too. 
my my point and my position is we we've we've always been doing both, right? We've always been uh trying to do for self or doing for self. And uh we've also always been we've been having no choice but to try to have a collective approach. Um and so it's just like, okay, which where why do we need why do we think that it's okay to separate the two or that we need to do one or the other? Um, so I just want to say, look, we, I think we need to do both. We in, individually, we need to do the best that we can do to move our families ahead. And collectively, we got to have a, a mentality of, of making a collective push for collective political power. And, and, you know, Gary got into that, some of that later when he got into, uh, the strategy back South, but, you know, some contradictions there to go back to you, brother. Nahim. All right. So what I'm going to do real quick, Um, when you speak about the American Freedman community, I don't even think do for self needs to be brought up. Right. Nobody else fought in every war in this country. Nobody else went through one reconstruction, went through one civil rights, went through a second civil rights. Nobody else has did more with less than American Freemans in this country. We had mutual aid societies before we had banks. Then we created banks. Then the government basically plundered those banks, created atmospheres and took those banks away. We had cities that was, you know, on the cusp of of really being something and being able to build wealth and hold wealth. And and the government and their white racist militias came and they burned those cities down and they plundered it. And what they couldn't burn down, they did it in policy. So I don't even think we need to speak of that. We did more with less than anybody else in this country. And we're still doing it now. We don't have wealth, but and we learned this from Dr. Darity's study. When you compare um, blacks who make the same income as whites, they save more and they spend more on their kids' education. So this idea that somehow we need to be perfect before the government does for us what it does for people that's not even citizens shouldn't even be in nobody's conversation, right? So this idea that we can do both, we should be saying about everybody else. We gave this country so much. It's time for us to really do nothing and just get back. So that's the whole point I'm trying to make. They, they, this idea of like government handouts, we didn't get the homestead act. We didn't get the new deal. But but we fought in the Revolutionary War. We fought in the War of 1812. We fought in the Mexican-American War. We fought in World War One. We fought in World War Two. This country was a country before the Italians got here, before the Irish got here, before the Polish got here. They are the ones who came and got handouts. We haven't got our just due yet. So this idea that everybody speaks on about about do for self and and rugged individualism. Say that to the people that's coming over from Venezuela and Mexico. I, I don't think we should ever fix our mouth. When somebody says that to us, we should just look at them and give them the Remy Ma remarks. You know what I'm saying? Like, is you stupid or is you dumb? We built this country. What do you mean? But yeah, let's get back to the conversation. Ooh, we 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 turn we tezzing on ten right now. We tezzing on ten right now. Go ahead, sister Ted. Everybody, if you're just now tuning in, you're listening to Tez on 10, the recap hosted by Be The Power. Um, I wanted to throw out a question for you guys. I want to hear your uh, answer on that, Naheem, because uh, I, I basically what I'm hearing is that uh, Gary did not, or at least you guys didn't hear um, his position on what a liberal is, and fair enough. But he did talk about one point, and I know we've had this conversation before, and I know you guys have this all the time on Twitter space, which is having um, having the ability to be able to talk, to have access to be in the room. And so since you guys are reparationists, and you know, you and I have talked about this, Naheem, on how 
you know, the Republican Party, since you guys are talking about the do for self and, you know, the, the no government spending, how they feel about reparations. Now, I am one to believe that you guys need to take over the Republican Party, just like black people need to take over the progressive party. They need to have more leaders that think like us in the Democrat Party. We need people all the way across the board. So I do understand the ideology of, hey, just get in and take over the Republican Party and make it be what you want it to be. But um, I do want to ask the question to you and to the room. Um, what was your thoughts on Gary's point about, you know, talking to people that will, you know, more than likely uh, never, you know, be for reparations or be for the things that you advocate for? Because I strong, and again, there's a difference between conservative and Republican, and it doesn't matter how much it makes sense. And I, I hear the arguments on it's going to make sense. It's going to save the tax. It's going to put money back into the economy. The bottom line is one of the ideology in the Republican Party is that do for self and and nothing else. They do not like spending taxes, period. And I know there's the argument of how it's not going to take out tax money and all that, but I just don't see it happening with the Republican Party. So one of his points was why not work with progressives or Democrats or other you know, people that can, uh, what they call closer to the dollar. So I want to know your your thoughts here, your thoughts on that, on what is it about, how is, what is your your journey being a conservative reparationist? And how do you see that party being able to advance that type of policy? Now, also for clarity, you guys know I believe in the local and state level. So commissioners and state reps and all of those, like, we, like we're seeing in these cities that can push reparation style you know, policy that can eventually bump up to the federal. That's what I personally believe, and those are nonpartisan positions. But since you guys do talk about the federal level a lot in Congress and so forth, how do you see yourself, um, you know, maneuvering that as a as a conservative in a party that doesn't like spending on on anything, much less black people? Well, I just want to clarify: I'm I'm not a conservative. <laughs> I'm a social. <laughs> I'm a social conservative. I okay. I'm I'm. I'm but I, I get what you mean, right? And I want to, I'm going to use, I'm going to answer your question by using some of Gary Chambers' words because what you asked kind of segued into what I, was, what, what I was about to get into. He um, basically, he has said that the only place that he could stand on his blackness was in the Republican Party. Matter of fact, he said that I think verbatim. That the only place Democratic Party. I mean, excuse me, the Democratic Party, not the Republican Party. And he said that the dim the Democratic Party was the only place where we could have a seat at the table, and that at this table we would have debate, right? So in that, he didn't speak to any policy prescriptions at all. He just said we could have a seat at that table so that we could have the debate. And the Dems, they ask for our votes and we give it to them only so that they could turn around and give benefits and advantages to other people. So I don't I don't think that the solution lies with any of the political parties as they are situated, which is why. And I'll use Gary Chambers words again here. We push for radical federalism to whereas we flood our southern states where our ancestors were enslaved at, where we have somewhat of, well, I don't want to say majority, we don't have a majority, but where we have uh, more of a demographic majority than we have in other states. 
right? So in New York City, you may have 25, uh, no, excuse me, uh, what is it? 3 million black people, but that only represents 25% of the total population. Whereas in Mississippi, you have less black people, but that black population makes up about 36, 37% of that population, then we yeah. get to elect our own senators. But we get to that. take over. Mm-hmm. But just you know, remember, right, he right, pointed right. that out on the show. That's right. No, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. He gets in that. His, his, that's right. He said that it was, was something that was saying, well, everybody basically just paraphrasing, everybody's not going to move to the South. He is all about that Southern strategy of, you know, going there and having a Black representation. And Sonny's position was, okay, like, like a lot of conservatives, we have all that representation, but still nothing's getting done. So he is very, he's aligned with you on that. Did you hear him say that part? No, no, that, that's what Absolutely. I was saying. Like we we definitely agree okay. with with like see, we're 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 not looking at this thing in the like we listen to someone like Roland Martin, right? He always shooting these little shots at us, talk about you dumbasses. Uh, you you need this amount of votes and you're not going to get that from the Republican Party. But we're not going to get that from the Democratic Party, because as we point out often, the Democratic Party does not support reparations. Janet Yellen was asked during her trip to the slave dungeons on the West Coast of Africa. You know, now that you're here, basically, does this make you and the administration, you know, want to do reparations? And she said no. That's not something on our agenda, but we do speak about having other programs. When Tommy Tuberville opened up for Trump at that racist Klan rally in, what, what is that, Mississippi, Tennessee, wherever the hell he's from, and he well, said Alabama. Black Alabama, they want reparations for the crimes that they commit. Uh, CBS News the next morning, uh, what's her name? Uh, sister. King. Gail King did the report, and in that report, she highlighted a quote that said the Democratic Party does not actively support reparations. So reparations is something that we as a collective are going to take into our own hands. You know, that's just to directly answer your question. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast, I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. Woo! 
As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Uh, thank God for the limits. Every time I have a, one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always gonna have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, I want to add to that uh, because I think 
police give any type of pushback against or any opposition against the person that's on the Democrat side or progressive side, then it's like, okay, you're against everything or you're against that particular party, you must be conservative. I, we have a consciousness that comes from the perspective of, okay, there's conservatism, you got progressivism, but with, we look at things from a freemanism perspective. So what freemanism is, is we look at every policy, every uh, piece of legislation or proposed policy legislation, every executive action, all these type of things. And any type of news, we look at it from the perspective of how this, uh, how does this positively or negatively impact our people today and our, uh, our future generations. So when we look at things on the, on the uh, Democrat side, it may be something that positively impacts. We look at something on the Republican side, it may be something that positively uh, impacts or, or vice versa or negative. You know I mean? So, you know, it's just that when it comes to reparations, obviously, it's something that both of them are going to have a position against. And it's because we don't have enough power to make that come to fruition. And so I, I want to say when we look at a lot of things that the Democrat side, uh, the position that they take, what we see is a lot of times we see rate, uh, e-racism. And e-racism, e-racism is, I look at e-racism as uh, racism where they, it's like they are willing to let you be erased. And on the Republican side, we got straight up racism, old, good old fashioned racism. Uh, that's in your face that you know, they don't want to include you on anything. The other one is like, okay, well, we're just going to overrun you. So that's those are the, that's when we look at things from the freemanism perspective. We we can we're able to see things. Okay, it's not the grass is not green on either side. You know, until we until we get enough power to be on either side, and we we actually plant some grass. We just got red clay, or we got you know moss, so we got you know we don't have any grass. So. Uh, back, back to you, Ian. Yeah, about about Gary Chambers talking about you know him not being able to talk to people from the other side of the political aisle. His comment was actually a zebra doesn't change his stripes. So basically, the way you start is the way you're gonna finish. That was a point that I have to disagree with. I'm not saying he's absolutely correct, uh, wrong, but he was wrong because you know I, I'll give you three examples. When it came to Abraham Lincoln, when it came to slavery, that was a position that he actually switched on. People called him a flip flopper when it came to Lyndon B. Johnson and civil rights. That was a position he actually flipped on. If we think about currently when it came to Barack Obama and the LGBTQ rights, that was a position that he actually flipped on. So this idea that you don't talk to somebody that's not um, neutral or lukewarm that may be in opposition to what you want is just absolutely not true. That's why I respect the work that Sonny Johnson and a lot of the black conservatives is doing over on the right. In America, we just have to be honest. We have two political parties that win elections, right? Especially on when it comes to the federal election. Now, you might win like some local stuff as an independent, but even if you win as an independent or a libertarian, eventually after they win that race, they'll end up going over to one of the two major parties. So really, even when it comes down to local politics, we have two parties. And as black voters, we need to be present in both those parties. I, I, I noticed that 
the reaction to black women conservatives is different than the reaction to black male conservatives. That's why I respect, you know, a lot of those black women that's over there trailblazing and leaning away. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just thought Gary Chambers was wrong when he, he said like he, he, you know, you, you know, one thing is that. Wait, wait before, is, before you, uh-huh. say, can you expound on that? What is the reaction? I'm just curious. What, what reaction do you see with, with black women? What what reaction is different? Is it more acceptable, not acceptable? Ex- expound on that if you don't mind. I'm curious. It's extremely more acceptable. When you go back to the Trump presidency, um, I can't think of his name right now. The pastor from Cleveland, Ohio. Every yeah, time somebody Pastor Scott. Pastor Scott. Pastor Scott. Uh-huh. Every time somebody would meet with him or take a picture or be in his cabinet, you know, they just got a bunch of angst and ire from the black community. They got called names. You know, you a coon, you a you Uncle Tom, you a Sambo, you a this or that. But then somebody like Amarosa got to come through and it was just black girl power, black girl magic. She's she's doing great things. When you think about to the Bush administration with um, Condoleezza Rice, you know, they they don't get the same ire as black men when when. Ice Cube, who's not a Republican, had a meeting with Donald Trump. Man, that that man felt felt the wrath of the whole Democratic Party, black women, even some black men just jumped on him. The whole time there was there was a black woman that he met with to have the conversation. He never personally met with Trump. And and that part of the conversation just got muted out. It's like, no, we don't even care about the black woman who works for the Trump campaign, who reached out to you and that you met with to try to push your policy. We just care that a black man is meeting with Trump and he might influence other black men. Yeah, I I want to give a little bit of pushback to that. Well, your opinions are certainly your opinion, so not some pushback, but I just want to give you some nuances. So I know Pastor Scott personally, um, you know, when he was on the Trump campaign, we met in Cleveland. Pastor Scott was absolutely uh, not, uh, was criticized for various different, he has a very aggressive style. Um, so a lot of his pushback was basically he'll cuss you out, you know, like straight up. I don't know if you got, matter, matter of fact, you can go listen to the podcast of Pastor Scott and I a couple of years ago under Straight Shot No Chaser and his style of, of how he presented Trump and basically cussing folks out and going off on, on folks and, uh, you know, uh, saying how he introduced Trump to gangsters and all of that. So a lot of his blowback was more centered on his personality opposed to James, uh, Pastor James, who rolled with him that was a little bit more received. But I want to be clear about this, that black men, whether it's Democrat or conservative, are not always received well. So let me just be clear about that. I don't think if you're not towing the line on the Democrat side, they don't want to hear what black men, we see that now, what black men not be listened to. So I want to put that out there first, that I don't think black men are respected either or because the Democrat Party uplifts black women and completely ignore black men. So let me first put that out there. But I just want to speak specifically to the individuals you you mentioned. Omarosa was never accepted. In fact, when she went to the NABJ that year, they booed her ass out the room. So nobody said Omarosa was black girl power. Uh, Omarosa was always looked at as an entertainer that was rolling with Trump because she was with Trump before Trump, you know, was running for president, for president. Uh, Condoleezza Rice, I would agree with you on that, um, that there was respect for her the same way there was respect for Colin Powell because of what they've done you know, as conservatives and their careers. So Colin Powell is a good example of a black conservative that was always respected, at least for the most part, on the right and left. 
So I think when we say uh, they're they're more accept acceptable, I just don't think people want to hear a voice from black men, period, unless they're towing the line. Just to, you know, put that out there. But if you would listen, uh, some black women, some black conservatives uh, will tell you that the road hasn't been easy with them with dealing with uh, majority white men because white men don't want to hear from from women uh, a, a lot in the conservative party because it can be very sexist, even in the conscious community. I know nobody want to hear that, but there's a lot of sexism in the conscious community as well. There's some people right here who are listening right now to make everything about gender, everything about women, everything women versus women, women versus men. So the conscious community is not always that accepting the women as well who are outspoken. So I just think when it comes to gender um, and, and that conversation, uh, there's work in both areas. If you are somebody that is bold and standing on your, you know, on your truth, you know what I mean? I think I think people like us are going to have a hard time no matter what side we on. Yeah, especially, my, <laughs> especially if you start talking black politics. That's and, right. As long as you do that, because didn't that happen to Richard Steele? Didn't that same thing yeah, happen to him? That's right. With the Republicans, I think they started, you know, treating him Michael differently. Steele? Michael Steele. Michael Steele. Michael Steele. Yeah, Michael Steele. Yes. Yeah. Didn't yeah, that happen with him as well? He was over the yeah. He was over the RNC, and again, uh, the majority of people in the Republican Party are white men, so they're not really trying to hear from women. Period. Even white women. You know, Nikki Haley. They'll 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 bump her up now, but they're not going to go the distance. So there's still y'all do know sexism exists, right? Y'all would agree with that, right? There's there's such thing as, as sexism. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so there's a lot of that in the Republican Party as well. But I'm honest enough to say that yes, uh, uh, the Democrat Party has us uh, basically positioned uh, based upon the numbers of uh, black women uh, having more power, if you will, than black men, and not listening and telling black men to fall in line, and you just don't know what you're talking about. You know like I mean? Simone, so, Simone Sanders, right? She was saying black men need to shut up or something like that. Um, she, she's not the only one. Several have, you know. That that's just the 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 tone of if black men need to get in line and 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 be quiet, you know. So, and even though I advocate for black men all the time, men still come at me all the time. You've seen that, Naheem. No matter how many ways I, I rock with black men, no matter how many. As a side note on my, my show, Tez on 10, I had four guest co-hosts. I made sure that they were all men, all alpha men. It was very important to me to show a conversation being moderated because Gary was my co-host. He wasn't just my goat, my, my guest. He was my co-host. So I made sure that they were all men. So even when I'm trying to make space for men, I still get criticized. Look at all the videos about me that they said the worst thing that could ever happen to black women and the worst thing that ever happened. There's a guy called uh, Thy Man something. What's the name that I checked before? That coon, um, forgot his name, uh, Raynard. He he writes an article about me every every 90 days about I'm, I'm the worst woman ever. You know, so we get it on both sides when you speak in truth. I think they probably did. When I did that interview with Ramasami, you remember my name? You had to step in. Like, it was men making videos, calling me cunts and bitches and all type of women coming for me, too. So I, I don't I don't think it's always a gender thing. I think it's what you're saying, what's coming out of your mouth. Like my voice is too strong. I'm too aggressive. I'm too, I'm too this. I'm too that. So big ball in the skirt. <laughs> yeah, all of that. And, I, and a matter of fact, speaking of tracks, I did a whole track called Political Pit Bull 10 years ago. So I, I think it has more to do with what you're saying 
and 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 Daryl Scott is a no holds bar. Don't give a damn what you think from the streets of Cleveland. Will tell you his story. Hey, I done been on heroin, dope, drugs, whatever. I'm with Trump. Oh well. Uh, you know, Hamarosa isn't no Southern Belle either. But the the thing about Colin Powell and Condoleezza Wright is that even though Colin Powell was a Republican, he publicly came out and supported Obama and even cried when Obama won presidency. So sure. he 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 but totally be- became the of the right. No, but before that, everybody always had a general respect for Colin Powell. You know, always. I, I'm just yeah, to the point of saying that. Some I would say that. Yeah, or, or Yeah, and people still call Constantly Rice a coon too. Like she didn't escape it. Yeah, but they, but, I, they, but they weren't they weren't playing politics. So you got to look at Pasadero Scott was a surrogate. So he was out here fighting, you know, arguing and fighting. We did many shows together. Omarosa was out here arguing and fighting. Constantly Rice, Colin Powell, they were in the administration, so they weren't taking the heat. If that makes sense, they weren't put in positions to have to defend themselves or to be talked about. They had their heads down was doing a job. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that uh, definitely makes sense. Definitely. Pastor Scott, that's all he did was look for the smoke. Literally. <laughs> he one of the best Yeah, I, I follow the brother on Twitter, man. He he be going in. He he yeah. definitely be going in. <laughs> so he, he got smoke. Welcome smoke. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> all right, so let's... I guess we can get into this originalist argument now. All right. Uh, um, hmm. All right, so you you want to? All right, you get into the originalist because uh, I was actually going to the Constitution anyway. Oh, you started, started. You know that's Ali Wheelhouse, man. Okay. okay, so all right, so then you just come, you and Josh, y'all, you know, give a follow up to what Gary Chambers was saying about the Constitution. And you can, you know, get into the originalist argument and we'll we'll break that. I'm going to just throw it to y'all. I got a thousand notes, but for, for the sake of time, I'm going to just throw it to y'all and and we'll go from there. So, uh, let me see. Let me see. He, he, he made several claims about the Constitution that I, I thought were extremely problematic because if you are a politician in this country and you do not understand the Constitution, I don't understand your position as a politician. It is that Constitution that gives you the power to run in a representative capacity, whether it's locally, whether it's a senator on a state or federal level, et cetera, et cetera. So I was confused by some of his statements. And so I want to I want to bring some of those up. And have Ali go in and then Josh and then Ibrahim, you know, you could come on the back end with the, you know, the originalist argument because I think he misunderstands what originalism is. And I, and, and I don't want to shoot down everything he said in that regard about originalism because I kind of understand it in the same way he views conservatism, but we'll flesh that out. So he said the Constitution did not consider us in, in its inception, um, you know, we will get into Justice Curtis and Justice McLean's dissent and, and Dred Scott. That that's just simply not true. He says uh, uh, basically that we the people and I'm paraphrasing right here. We the people were were white men only, meaning we were not included when this Constitution was was being drafted again. That that's simply not the case. 
And I thought Sonny hit back with, with a perfect shot when she said, can you imagine how things would be for us without the Constitution? And he shot back and said that we advanced in spite of the Constitution. And I, I thought that that was completely and utterly asinine. And, you know, I, I think that this is an area where we kind of lend to the conversation and education across the board, because you have to have, a, in my opinion, a working knowledge of the Constitution and the history, especially as an American freedman, a.k.a. a black person, a.k.a. an African-American in this country, because, well, without the Constitution, you don't get what's called the second founding, which is the Reconstruction Amendments. These amendments were specifically designed for us. The problem came with what's called con judicial construction, uh, obiter dictum, where the justices gave opinions as opposed to interpretations of the actual text of the Constitution, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, Ali, what, what are your thoughts on Chambers' Chambers stance on what he said about the Constitution, about it not being a document for us? Um, you know, he, he made several claims that I, I, I just, I don't know, I thought they were problematic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, this is a point where I actually... Um, Wait, hold on. Your, your volume is low, or is that me? Uh, Can y'all hear know. him? Check, check one. How's it sound? It sounds good on my end. Okay, so my volume went low. Why? Uh. Mm. Well, let me just stop me if it sounds low to anybody else. Um, no, go ahead, bro. I guess this is my like, phone. I just went off speaker for whatever reason. Oh, uh, okay. So, no, I was going to say that I agree with Sonny's position on it, that our people advance <clears throat> due to the Constitution. Now, he also made the, the statement that we had certain folks and I, you know, certain people who were pushing against the constitution is what made, you know, where they were able to make certain strides. And that's not the case. What was being done was they were enforcing it. They were, they were forcing the nation to actually stand on the principles embedded in that. Right. So you can't say that they were pushing against it. They were using it and making the government or holding the government accountable to living up to those principles. So again, like we were saying, it, it has a lot to do with understanding the history of of the Constitution itself, constitutional law, the things that comprise constitutional law, and where all that stuff came from, how it came about. And if you could, Naheem, because I can't do it right now, if you could pull up the um the piece from Justice Curtis because I think we need to reference that at, at some point right where he's talking about the people who were a part of the uh who are part of the states who helped to ratify the Constitution um and how that also applied to them so the fact of the matter is Constitution is not just the United States Constitution but you got to look at it from the standpoint of the Declaration of Independence, because the Constitution really just doubles down on what was outlined in that declaration. And in the declaration, it says that all men were born free and equal. And, you know, uh, you have these unalienable God-given rights for which government is instituted to protect. Now, the thing about it is 
most of us were taught that this was for white men. The problem is, when you look at the debates surrounding all of these things, going into the Declaration, going into the Constitution, what you find out is that there were certain people who wanted to enshrine certain things in them documents. Some people wanted to wanted it to say all white people were born free and equal. But that was voted down. That was voted down. When it came to the United States Constitution, some people wanted it to actually say in the future, the so-called fugitive slave clause that slaves would be captured and returned as fugitives from justice. But when you look at the debates and you look at what James Madison had to say about it and the other frame, the majority of the other framers, you start to see that they shot that idea down. So when it comes to the so-called fugitive slave clause, which should really be called the fugitive servant clause, you see that the word that they use in there is not slave. They talk about service, people who owe service and labor. Now, the important thing when you mention Garrisonian, you mentioned Garrisonian and Frederick Douglass and how Frederick Douglass kind of went against his teacher Garrison. But that's because he started to read the works of Lysander Spooner, which Lysander Spooner put out a piece called The Unconstitutionality of Slavery. In that piece, he's breaking down, I think it was published in 1840 something, but he's breaking down in that piece how slavery was unconstitutional, not just with the United States Constitution, but going all the way back into the Constitution coming out of, out of England. Constitution of Britain or England was the common laws of England along with the positive statutory laws that they passed in Parliament. So you look at the case of Somerset versus Stewart. You look at the works of a, of a person like a James Otis, where he published this piece called The Rights of the Colonists Asserted and Proved. In that piece, is very important, because in that piece, James Otis is saying that Blacks as well as whites were subjects of the, of the sovereign of Britain and were born free on this land. So with what we're looking at is a stream of thought that existed for a long time before the United States Constitution even got framed and adopted. These are, these are, this is a, a stream of thought that existed amongst abolitionists for a very long time. And what it did was it included so-called, you know, black people along with white people as members of the society, as citizens, as members of the society who had rights and privileges that were to be protected. So when it comes down to this idea that these things weren't for Black people, Black people played a role in every part of it. The adoption of the Constitution. Naheem, do you have that piece from, from Curtis yes. where you speak on it? I'm gonna read, let me read from it now. And this is from, remember, in the Dred Scott case, there were two dissenters, Justice Curtis, and Justice McLean. And a lot of people, they simply do not know this information. And I said this earlier about, you know, William Lloyd Garrison, which was a mentor to Frederick Douglass, where he taught about the Constitution being a pact with, what was what did he say? A pact with death and a covenant with hell and all of these different things. He right. lied. But his idea and ideals as it pertained to the Constitution and how our people should view it has survived Frederick Douglass. 
And I believe it survives Frederick Douglass because there's not enough emphasis placed upon this term that we've adopted from a hater called freedmanism, right? So I want to read from Justice Curtis's dissent in the Dred Scott, uh, the Dred Scott decision. It said, because, but just real quick, uh, you know, in that decision, Justice Tiny ruled that, and it was a, it was an opinion. It wasn't based on anything constitutional that Dred Scott had no rights, which uh, white men were bound to respect. And this lasted for a few years until you get the passage of the Reconstruction Men- Amendments. Ultimately, the 18 civil, 1866 Civil Rights Act is what many constitutional scholars say overturned the Dred Scott decision because it was just false. It was just a lie. So let's read what Justice Curtis says in his dissenting opinion. He said, it may be proper here to notice some supposed objections to this view of the subject. It has been often asserted that the Constitution was made exclusively by and for the white race. Brother Ali just touched on that. It has already been shown that in the fi- in five of the 13 original states, colored persons then possessed the elective franchise and were among those by whom the Constitution was ordained and established. So when Gary Chambers is saying what he says about us not being a part of this constitutional fold, that's that's not true. And I'm hoping that those who think along those lines that are listening to this or will listen to this, start to shed that. We have to ground ourselves in the Constitution because, yes, we are, in fact, a part of we the people. So I want to read that last line again, where he says, it has already been shown that in five of the 13 original states, colored persons then possessed the elective franchise and were among those by whom the Constitution was ordained and established. If so, It is not true in point of fact that the Constitution was made exclusively by the white race and that it was made exclusively for the white race is, in my opinion, not only an an assumption not warranted by anything in the Constitution, but contradicted by its opening declaration that it was ordained and established by the people of the United States for themselves and their posterity, and as free colored persons, were then citizens of at least five states. And so in every sense, part of the people of the United States, they were among those for whom and whose posterity, again, the Constitution was ordained and established. How many people have read the dissent of Justice Curtis? It's long. I'm going to tell you now because he had to shred Chief Justice Taney's obituary dictum, his mere judicial opinion. He had to shred that thing, and he did just that. And I urge you all to pull up Justice Curtis's dissent, and I'm going to read this next part and, and give it back to Ali. He says, the answer is obvious. The Constitution has left to the states the determinations What persons born within their respective limits shall acquire by birth citizenship of the United States? It has not left to them any power to prescribe any rule for the removal of the disabilities of alienage. This power is exclusively in Congress. It has been further objected 
that if free persons born within a particular state and made citizens of that state by its constitution and laws are thereby made citizens of the United States, then under the second section of the fourth article of the constitution, such persons would be entitled to all the privileges and immunities of citizens in the several states. And if so, then colored persons could vote and be eligible, not only in federal offices, but offices even in those states whose constitutions and laws disqualify colored persons from voting or being elected to office. I'm, I'm hoping people are understanding what Justice Curtis is breaking down here. Because what he's saying is even those states that have constitutions that are anti our people, it does not negate the fact that these are citizens and that they can hold offices not only at the federal level, but also in those states where you are drafting up where you are drafting up provisions in your constitution to disable their citizenship. This is a powerful, powerful piece, and I urge everybody to read Justice Curtis and Justice McLean's dissent in Dred Scott, but especially Justice Curtis. Go ahead, Ali. Yes, now that's powerful, right? Now, and I really do, uh, I agree with you, I really do hope people are taking that in and what that all meant. So the point is, is that our people were a part of the making of the Constitution. Even though we were taught that it had nothing to do with us and that it was really about white men. And what, one of the things that Gary Chambers said was that um, the Constitution put us in a trick. Basically, I'm just paraphrasing. Basically, the Constitution put us in a trick bag. It wasn't the Constitution that did it. It was racist white men and their construction of the Constitution, their interpretations or misinterpretations or misconstruing of the Constitution that did it. Constitution is a very fair document. You have to understand that even when you consider the three-fifths compromise, which many people misunderstand that that thing said that we're three-fifths of a human being and never said that, even with that in the so-called fugitive slave clause, those things actually, like Frederick Douglass said in his Glasgow speech, those things actually push the Constitution towards freedom, not towards slavery. When you look at what it what was actually happening. So let's look, let's take the three-fifths compromise for a second. What was going on at the time that they made that this compromise had to even be made? They were coming out of the Articles of Confederation, looking to adopt the Constitution, and we're having these debates. The problem is the union was fragile. The fragility of the union was an issue from the beginning. But even at this point, it was still fragile because you had certain states that were debating the issue of whether or not they wanted to remain in the union or become separate, sovereign, independent nations of their own. So in order to keep the union intact, they compromised with the slaveholding states. Now, the three-fifths compromise was one that had to do with representatives in Congress. It had nothing to do with calling Black people three-fifths of a human being. If you look at the text, you're not going to see anything like that. It had everything to do with representation in Congress. What the slaveholding states actually wanted to do was count 
all of the enslaved population for the purposes of getting more representation in Congress, which would have made their, their position in Congress more powerful than the Northern states, the, the states that didn't have slaves. So in essence, they actually wanted to count five-fifths of the enslaved population. They wanted the entire population to be counted as citizens for representation. So the argument from the Northern states was, wait a minute, if these people are your property, how is it that you're trying to count, number one, how are you trying to count property for representation when only citizens get that, unless you're trying to say they're citizens? That's number one. There's a contradiction there. Number two, if they're your property, what's to stop you from counting your horses and your sheep and your plows and your shovels for representation too? Those things are your property as well. It starts to get become a ridiculous argument. So what, what they wound up doing was they wound up allowing the slaveholding states to count 60% of the enslaved population for representation in order to keep the union intact, because the whole thing was about keeping the union intact. So that's what it was. But what they did was they cut down on what it was they were trying to do, which was to count the entire slave population. They cut down on the, the five-fifths and brought it down to three-fifths. That's number one. The Fugitive Slave Clause. If you read James Madison's words, when they were debating the adoption of the Constitution. James Madison made the point that James Otis made. He made the point that was made in the Somerset case, the Somerset case, that man does not have the right to property in man. This is in the actual debate records. You can read this. This is what James Madison actually said. There's no right to property in, in, in man, and we are not going to enshrine in the Constitution that anybody has such a right. This is why you won't find the word slave or slavery in the Constitution. You're not going to find it anywhere in there. And so what they decided on was that the only people who owed service or labor were servants who made contracts with, in terms of indentured servitude and apprentices. So when you look at the, the Fugitive Slave Clause, and if you look at the debates, you'll see that they decided against putting the word slave or slavery in the so-called Fugitive Slave Clause and only left servant and apprentice because that's who they decided was the only people who were going to be targeted. A slave was considered property, not a person who owed service or labor, but property. So it's a very technical argument that took place, but you've got to know that the argument actually took place in order to understand it from the perspective that Frederick Douglass, Lysander Spooner, and others like that, the way they understood it. That's why they came to the conclusion that they did that slavery was unconstitutional and that our people were actually protected by constitution as citizens and members of society just like any other white person. I want to thank the brothers at Be The Power for organizing that conversation around Tez on 10. If you have not heard, I have a new show called Tez on 10 on Revolt. I am so excited about it. It is the first spinoff show for Revolt Black News. It is a show that is designed to have conversations that are centered on black Americans. And as you can see, the first episode created 
another episode outside of the episode. And that's what it's all about, creating the conversation, creating the dialogue. I am so grateful uh, to our brothers for saying, you know what, we want to continue it. We want to flush it out. That's what it's all about. So again, thank you to Naheem and the entire Be The Power family uh, for allowing me to uh, sit in on their conversation and contribute and for permission for putting it on the podcast so that you guys can hear uh, what else was discussed after it. If you have not watched it, make sure you go watch it on YouTube. The replay is there. And I look forward to more episodes. We have nine more to go. Tez on 10, a 10-part uh, series, a new show on Revolt. And I'm so very excited about it. The first episode was about the Black vote with Sonny Johnson, conservative and liberal Gary Chambers. And so it sparked a conversation, as you guys just heard. And if you want to hear that conversation in its entirety, go to my Twitter page at Teslin Figaro and find the link to hear the entire conversation hosted by Be The Power titled The Tez on 10 Recap. Again, thank you so much, guys. Make sure you follow me on Instagram. Make sure you check me out every day on The Breakfast Club. And make sure you stay tapped in right here on Straight Shot No Chaser on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Peace. If you like what you heard on Straight Shot No Chaser, please subscribe and drop a five-star review and tell a friend. Straight Shot No Chaser is a production of the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. I'm Tesla Figaro, and I'd like to thank our producer, editor, mixer, Dwayne Crawford, and our executive producer, Charlemagne Nagat. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I used to have so many men. 
how this beguiling woman in her 50s she looked like a million bucks scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes nearly 10 million dollars was all gone it's just unbelievable hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts